This is Sports Talk with Phil Cordblue, Chris Bergen, and Pat Daniel. Sports Talk is heard across the state on radio affiliates of the Sports Talk Media Network and is streaming live on SportsTalkSE.com as well as Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. The South Carolina Education Lottery lucky number to call in is 888-898-2525. That's 888-898-2525. Now, here are Phil, Chris, and Pat with tonight's edition of Sports Talk. And good good evening, everybody, and welcome to Sports Talk here on the Sports Talk Media Network. And Pat, back in Columbia, I'm getting that delay in my headset. If you can clear that up for me, please, so I can talk clearly. It's uh, good to have you with us as we come to you tonight from the uh, Harbortown Golf Links, where today it was the media day for the annual RBC Heritage presented by Boeing, which is coming up in April. And, boy, we had a chance today to play on this beautiful golf course at Harbortown and gorgeous weather Could not have been better. Delicious food served throughout the entire time we were here. Fat as a pig after eating all day long. But we had a great time. Course is in beautiful shape, of course, but they're going to do a lot more to it between now and when the tournament comes up in April. And Steve Wilmot, the tournament director, will join us at 7.05 to talk more about uh, the plans for that and what's coming up with the PGA Tour and everything been going on with that and how that might impact things here at the RBC Heritage. That'll be coming up a little bit later on. In a couple of minutes, Ben Portnoy, who covers the Gamecocks for the state newspaper and GoGamecocks.com, will be joining us to talk about the spring upcoming for the Gamecocks. And he had a sit-down session with Dowell Loggins and Shane Beamer recently. So he'll tell us a little bit about meeting with those folks and what he took away from that. Uh, As we look ahead to the start of spring practice, actually Clemson begins spring practice next week. The Gamecocks are going to be beginning spring practice, I think it's March 14th. In fact, they announced today that their spring game on April 15th will have a 7 o'clock kickoff. So the Gamecocks are going to go at night Again, second consecutive year going at night with the uh, spring game there in Columbia. In the meantime, over the weekend, wow, what about the Clemson basketball team? What a show they put on at NC State on Saturday. So right now the Tigers you have to consider are right back, have to be in the conversation for the NCAA tournament. I know Joe Lenardi, as of Saturday afternoon, Still had them in that group of the second four out along with the College of Charleston. I'm looking to see if Lenardi has had an update on his bracketology today. But so far, the last one he's put out was as of February 24th at 9 a.m. as far as the full uh, bracketology. So what you doing, Joe? Let's get off the couch and get that bracketology updated. But Clemson was really, really impressive in that win over uh, NC State. Man, they shot the lights out. They were knocking down everything. It was one of those days as a coach and as a player that you just kind of dream about where guys who don't ordinarily make shots were making shots. Kind of like the way they shot the ball against um, Florida State when they beat them by 40 and and somewhat like they did against Syracuse. And the Tigers uh, had a huge lead all game long against NC State. A very impressive win for them on the road. Now they go to play Virginia tomorrow night in Charlottesville, and and that's going to be huge 
because right now, as far as the top four teams in the ACC are concerned, you've got uh, Pitt, which has emerged as the number one team at 14-4 and four in league play. And then Miami, which was uh, upset by Boston College over the weekend. They're 14-5. and five. And then you have Clemson and Virginia at 13-5 and five, and Duke at 12-6 and six in league play. So Clemson, I mean, statistically – they still have a chance to win the ACC regular season championship. Uh, if they went out and go 15-5, and five, they got Notre Dame Saturday, and they've got uh, Virginia on the road tomorrow night, 15-5, and five, that, that might be good enough to get it done. But th- then they would need some help, of course. Pittsburgh and Miami would have to lose, and Miami has a tiebreaker over them, but they have the tiebreaker over Pittsburgh. And if they beat Virginia, they'll have the tiebreaker over Virginia. So, it's all about just taking care of your business if you're Clemson. And if they play like they did, then they will, uh, they'll take care of their business. They have moved up in the net to number 60 with, that, with two wins last week over Syracuse at NC State. So they've, they've moved up quite a bit. Uh, Virginia is 28 in the net. Of course, South Carolina, uh, well, they played Tennessee decently for a half. They were down – uh, 11 or 12, I think it was, at the break in Knoxville. But at least they were competitive, and then they weren't. Just fell apart in the second half. Just fell apart. Got beat again. You know, they lost to Tennessee in Columbia in January, and I think that was a 40-point margin. And so now they lose by 42 in Knoxville. So at least they were consistent in dealing with Tennessee here in the regular season. So the Gamecocks lose, and they're not competitive after playing the number two team in the country at home in a very competitive game. It's just been that kind of season. Of course, they don't match up well with Tennessee. Tennessee's long, lean, athletic. They're too physical for South Carolina. They don't like physical teams, and they can't defend them, so they give up a lot of points to teams like that. By the way, speaking of Alabama, uh, did you see the introduction for Brandon Miller on Saturday, they had that great win over Arkansas. Arkansas really played them well. Alabama came back to win. But when Miller was introduced, he gets a standing ovation from the fans. And I'm just wondering to myself, what are you thinking? But then, as he's running through the tunnel of players, there's a walk-on player at the very end. And they, the two of them, I guess they had planned this out, they sort of recreated a pat-down of how a police officer would pat down a player looking for a weapon. And, oh, my goodness, that was picked up by the national pundits. And Nate Oates said that he was not happy about that. But, I mean, we're seeing these things. You're wondering what kind of control Nate Oates has over his basketball team in Tuscaloosa. It's obviously a a very talented basketball team, a team that's capable, if they hold it together, of winning the SEC tournament championship, regular season championship, and making a deep run in the NCAA tournament. But this nonsense that's been going on related to this terrible tragedy there in Tuscaloosa, is just, that's got to be an embarrassment for everybody involved. And more and more people nationally are saying, you know, there should be some action taken against Brandon Miller because of everything that has come out about this case. So that thing is only going to get hotter as you go deeper into postseason play through the SEC tournament and once you're in front of the NCAA media. And is 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 Alabama going to shield him from all of that? Are they not going to make him available? I mean, the NCAA requires you to open your locker rooms after tournament basketball games. But I guess you can take him out and hide him if you don't want him talking to the media. So we'll see what happens with that. USC women took care of business. Senior day yesterday at the CLA, 18,000. 
to say goodbye to uh, arguably the greatest class in USC women's basketball history, a record of, uh, what was it, 108 and like, what was it, 108 and like three or something? Some crazy record that they've had as a class. Maybe I'm a little bit off on the numbers. I can pull it up here in a moment. But they took care of business against Georgia yesterday, and they finish up a regular season undefeated, uh, number one in the country, and in great shape to uh, defend their national championship. 123-8 and eight in their career for the uh, young ladies that signed with South Carolina back in 2019. That is amazing. That is impressive. And that is just going to be something that's going to be hard to top in the years to come. Win another national championship, and certainly besides the statue being erected. And I saw, uh, I was downtown Columbia a Saturday and I saw where they're erecting that statue for Don Staley at the corner of Maine and Gervais. That's going to be – right now it looks like they're just kind of putting up the – I don't know what that is, the support of it or whatever. It's, it's going to be pretty large. And i got to believe now, Aaliyah Boston wins another national championship and a national player of the year. She's going to have to be considered for uh, one of her own to uh, keep company over there with Asia Wilson in front of the, the CLA. Uh, race out at um, Fontana yesterday, Kyle Busch uh, runs away with it, wins comfortably. His first win for uh, RCR, and after a strong showing at Daytona, now people are saying they are going to run roughshed over everybody in NASCAR this year. This team, the Richard Childress team with Kyle Busch in the number eight car, they're going to dominate. They're going to win a lot of races 19 consecutive seasons for Kyle Busch winning a uh, NASCAR uh, race, winning a a top-level race. That breaks a tie with Richard Petty for the all-time record there for him with that. So that is very, very impressive. Okay, so we've touched on a number of things. Oh, the baseball over the weekend. South Carolina had a little bit more of a battle on their hands with Penn. Uh, Penn was uh, playing their first games of the season, and – Mark Kingston said going in, this was going to be a pretty good test, and their pitching was pretty good. And uh, they gave South Carolina, well, fights in all three games, seven to four, one to nothing. And the Gamecocks had to come from behind, hit two home runs in the eighth yesterday to pull out a one run win. But they remain undefeated, and that's where they are. They're undefeated right now with a game against North Carolina A&T at home tomorrow afternoon. Then it's the Clemson series, and the Tigers, all of a sudden, they get swept by UCF over the weekend. I don't think anybody saw that coming. And did you see what the UCF baseball team did on their way out of Clemson? There's video. We just retweeted it. There's video. The baseball team somehow got inside Death Valley, and they ran down the hill. They ran down the hill. That's blasphemous. Nobody but Clemson people run down the hill, much less a bunch of uh, baseball players from UCF who just came in and swept you, the ultimate insult at Clemson. I'm sure they will be held to pay at some point in time when uh, they can figure out how to make them pay it. (laughs) Speaking of Clemson, and this is big, we got to touch on this, and we'll talk with Ben here in a little bit about this too. Clemson and Florida State, uh, you may have seen the stories, came out Fridays, continued over the weekend. Basically, they no longer want to equally share revenue with the rest of the ACC. They believe that they alone should get more 
than the rest of their brothers in the ACC. Right now, the ACC is paying out about $36 million per team from their TV contracts, while the SEC in its most recent payout was $51 million. We all know the SEC is going to go way up with their new contract. And the people at uh, Florida State and at Clemson, the ADs, have gone on record in these stories as saying, yeah, something's got to be done from our standpoint, for our brand, for what we're doing, which is a shot across the bow of the ACC because right now, you know, their TV contracts are locked in through 2036. And so there's been talk of Clemson bolting to the Big Ten. How would that play here in South Carolina, Clemson in the Big Ten? And, of course, there's always the threat of going to the SEC in some way. So we got to talk about that as well. Our phone number, 888-898-2525, South Carolina Education Lottery Lucky Number here on Sports Talk. And since 2002, more than $999 million in lottery proceeds have been used to support K-12 through programs in South Carolina. Learn more about the lottery's impact at sceducationlottery.com slash educationwins. And playing for fun is a win for education. No Chris Bergen this week. He's on duty with Coastal Carolina for basketball uh, tomorrow night in what could be their last basketball game of the season in the uh, Sunbelt Tournament. And then he's uh, vacationing for the rest of the week. I mean, why not? You're in Pensacola, Florida. Why not take the fam down there and chill out and vacation? So he's not going to be with us this week. It'll be uh, yours truly and Pat Daniel taking care of business. Let's go to our break. And Ben Portnoy from the state will join us. Looking forward to talking to Ben. He was here playing golf today. And I said, why don't you come sit in? Let's talk some Gamecock sports with you. And uh, after I gave him a couple of stiff drinks, he agreed. So he'll be with us after the break. Steve Wilmot at 705. We got plenty of recruiting for you, too, so stay tuned for that. And we'll work in some calls, 888-898-2525. We'll be back in just a moment. Hi, this is Billy Downer from the South Carolina Department of Natural Resources. Are you looking for a safe place to shoot your rifle or handgun? Did you know that the South Carolina Department of Natural Resources operates four manned ranges across the state in Pickens County, Spartanburg County, Richland County, and Charleston County? For more information on our public ranges, visit dnr.sc.gov backslash shooting. Hope, life, and the Great Palmetto. What do these things have in common? Scholarship dollars. The SC Hope, the Life, and the Palmetto Fellow Scholarships are funded by the lottery players of this great state. And after 20 years, you've invested over $7 billion in education. $7 billion. Impressive. The South Carolina Education Lottery. When you play, we all win. We're back with you on Sports Talk here on the Sports Talk Media Network. And we are here at Harbortown where today it was media day and sponsor day. 
their annual golf outing where they let schlubs like us get on a pristine golf course and just tear it up and have a great time. We welcome in Ben Portnoy from the state newspaper who covers the Gamecocks, and you were out here today for the first time. Yeah, it was my first time. I've uh, you know I've been down to Hilton Head a couple of times just just to visit and check out the beaches, but this was the first time I uh, dug up the golf course a little bit. So I, apologies to the uh, to the grounds crew that has to follow us after uh, after today. But there were enough good shots to keep coming back, right? So uh, it was a great time, though. Really, really cool, really picturesque, and really, really amazing experience. Yeah, I, I feel so guilty with each one of my huge divots that I leave <laughs> out there. It just makes me feel guilty about tearing up such beautiful grass. But I appreciate you spending some time with us before heading back to Columbia. I wanted to pick your brain on some things looking ahead to South Carolina spring practice and other things. You just had a chance to sit down with Shane Beamer and with Dowell Loggins, the new OC and the new offensive coordinator. So what did you take away from what they had to say? Yeah, you know, it's always – interesting talking to to Shane and this time and and this sort of part of the year especially after you know wrapping up the season and you know recruiting season has kind of picked up and come and gone a little bit and obviously a lot to talk about with Nicholas Harbor and things like that but you know I think that the the thing that I've taken away and and I think he said this both publicly and when we were talking in our sit down as well was you know that I, I don't think there's this misconception that South Carolina feels like it's sort of out over its skis you know Shane's kind of echoed the thought of you know South Carolina hasn't quote unquote arrived yet, right? That's there, there's still ways to go to, to be there. You know, you can't lose to Missouri to do that. You can't get run off the field by Georgia in the way that they've been run off the field the last two years. And I think that, having said that, I think there's still like a real, uh, there's sto- still a level of what's realistic at least right now and what still needs to be done. And I think that's important because I think it's easy when. You know, you go and beat Tennessee and Clemson at the end of the year the way things do. You, you do. You know, you come out and have a pretty good chance to beat Notre Dame. And, and frankly, I think, you know, I don't know if it's necessarily hit a wall, but, you know, just Notre Dame made a few plays down the stretch that, that ended, ended up winning that game. But, um, you know, it's easy for, for expectations, things like that, to get inflated. And, and and maybe they do from the outside. And, you know, maybe I stopped picking South Carolina to lose by seven touchdowns <laughs> to Tennessee because I, I think I joked with Shane after the game, after that Tennessee game, that I think that, you know, I think the last three times I've picked South Carolina to lose by three touchdowns or more, they've gone and won the football game. So, yeah. you know, what do I know? But uh, I, I do think that there's still a level of sort of understanding of where this program is, where it's going, and, and obviously in recruiting. Um, you've seen a lot of that, a lot of that at least uh, – and sort of the, the, the payoff there, at least. Yeah. So in your conversations with uh, the two of them, as they look ahead to the spring, and I know one thing that's heavily on Beamer's mind is the defensive end position, something they've got to solve because they don't have a lot of depth. And I'm wondering about the quality with the players that they've lost. Have they successfully replaced those guys with equally good players or, or better players? So you know that's a concern. And then on the offensive side, I guess – the thing that you have to kind of concern yourself with is learning another offensive system. You're here, Spencer Rattler, who came in from Oklahoma where he had a system. He comes here to South Carolina. He works under Marcus Satterfield. He learns terminology and another system. Now he's got to learn another system in a short amount of time. Of course, he proved he could pick up the Satterfield system in a relatively short amount of time. And a lot of people felt that the Satterfield system was extremely difficult. I got to believe Loggins is going to simplify it some. Did you get a feeling from him as to what he plans to implement? You know, I don't think X's and O's are quite there yet as far as the exact terminology. I think, he, you know, he was actually saying and mentioned to me 
that, you know, he was sort of figuring out what terminology works with guys and what sounds right. And, and, you know, there's all sorts of keywords and buzzwords and things like that that go into calling an actual play. And uh, he said he's kind of working through that right now. But, um, you know, the funniest part, and I thought it was interesting, and, and, you know, you don't necessarily hear coaches say this all the time, but it it was really interesting. He said, you know, frankly, like he, he said, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but he basically said, I came to South Carolina for two reasons. It was Shane Beamer and Spencer Rattler. And for a little bit of that, I wasn't sure if Spencer Rattler was going to be part of that equation. And, yeah. and he said it was, you know, not touch and go necessarily, but, you know, it was definitely long conversations with him and his family and his camp. And, um, you know, Spencer spent a lot of time talking to his people and his, his camp as well and, and working through those things and kind of, um, you know, if, if the thing that I took away and I, I thought, you know, is a really, you know, admirable thing was that Dal said, you know, listen, like, I'm not your coach, but like, I coached in the NFL for what, 16, 17 years. If this is the route you want to go through, you want to get ready for the combine, like I will do everything in my power to help you. And I'm here to help you and work you through that process with you, you know, having not been your coach, but, but having had that experience, like, you know, he kind of said like, look, I've been through the draft process. Like I can tell you right now what they're going to ask you in a, in, a, in an interview at the combine, right? I can tell you what they're going to critique or what they're going to say it needs work. Um, but on the flip side of that, if you come back, those are things we can work on and improve and, and all of those things. And so I thought that was interesting. You know, he was kind of, kind of, he was pretty, you know, realistic about it. It's like, realistically, like it wasn't a given that Spencer Rattler was going to come back. I mean, this was a real decision to be made and, and, uh, you know, and, and, you know, kind of before it, you know, talking to Dal about this, Shane, Shane kind of joked about it too. And he said, you know, everyone thought I was crazy when I joked last year, um, in, in kind of one of the side rooms at media days that, that I would bring Spencer Rattler next year because no one thought that Spencer Rattler was going to be coming back. And, yeah. and, he's, and I said, I was like, oh, so does that mean that, that Spencer's going to media days? And he was like, well, I won't go that far yet. But He won't uh, commit to Rattler he, he, going to media days? Not yet, not yet, officially. Not, yeah. a, not officially. So maybe, yeah. that's, maybe that's in the cards. We'll see. But, yeah. uh, but my point is, is that a, a lot of the Spencer Rattler, you know, will he go, will he stay, all that, um, what was a lot of sort of the offseason. And, and I think that those guys are still kind of working through what he does well, what the rest of the offense does well, and, and all of that. But um, I, I think it's sort of in the, the – sort of infancy of what we're going to see, but I do think it's going to be really interesting to see what we get, you know, in a spring game type of situation, what kind of personnel packages you see, um, and kind of how guys line up. Now, is that a glorified scrimmage? Yes, but it's still at least something, so it's going to be sort of the first tangible um, thing that we get to see. Yeah, they also have to solve some issues on the offensive line. They lose a number of starters there. Uh, Running back, who's going to emerge at running back? I mean, it had to be a shock to them. Have you figured out anything more about – Marshawn Lloyd, I mean, was it just simply, well, I don't know, was it simply anything? Have you discovered anything about why he opted to leave? This was a place where he could have carried the ball a lot in 2023. Was it, was it just the allure of going out to L.A. and playing for Southern Cal? Yeah, you know, not much more than mid, what's been made public. I think, you know, Marshawn made a decision for him and his family and then decided that USC was the place he wanted to go. And, um, you know, we'll see. Uh, obviously, it's a tie-in with with Shane Beamer's old boss and Lincoln Riley being out in L.A. and Mm -hmm. all those things. And, you know, a little bit of a messy – not necessarily messy, but, you know, a little bit of a wonky situation where, you know, Marshawn probably is the bell cow coming back. But um, definitely a little bit of a weird situation. But I do think that that South Carolina feels really good about what they got in Mario Anderson. I think he's going to be a guy that is going to be a really interesting player to track. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, Juju McDowell, I I don't know that he's going to be a guy that can take, you know, 15 carries a game, but I do think he can be really involved in the offense. And we saw that in the bowl game, frankly, you know, some stuff to get him on the edge and space and things like that. Um, But you've also got Lavazier Carroll in the, in the mix. And, and, you know, there's a thought that Dante Miller could maybe get an extra year of eligibility um, to at least round out some depth there. So I, I wouldn't be surprised to see South Carolina go after another running back in, in the transfer portal. Maybe that's what this comes to. You know, you've also got four-star DJ Braswell coming in. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've got a few options, but you probably would feel pretty good about 
about getting another uh, another running back in there. And, and as you alluded to, defensive end is probably on the top of the wish list as well. Yeah, Jordan Burch leaving sort of uh, – do you think that came as a surprise to them when it did happen? I think it was a little bit of a surprise, but I think it got to the point where it was ready. You know, I think they knew it, it was coming a little bit. I think, you know, as a coaching staff, I mean, these things, you know, they get made public, but at some point, like, these things are known sort of internally mm-hmm. a, a little bit before that, and I think that that – that was the reality. I think South Carolina knew this was maybe heading that way. And, I, I mean, the other piece of that is Gilbert Edmond left, and it's at Florida State now. And, I mean, mm-hmm. Gilbert Edmond played a lot of snaps and played a lot of really good snaps for South Carolina in kind of a, a tough situation where Jordan Strong goes down game one, basically, and hasn't – or, excuse me, game two against Arkansas. And, and he all of a sudden is a starter and a guy that was probably going to be a rotational piece and all of a sudden is playing, you know, 90% of the snaps, excuse me, at defensive end. Um, so those are two big losses, and and I said you know we were talking about you know what comes next, what's what's the next count cal- next on the calendar, and and Beamer was talking about spring ball and the transfer portal, and I said I was like uh, I kind of joked I was like oh so you don't feel like you're set at defensive end right now, and he kind of <laughs> laughed and he, he said you know no obviously you know we joke about it but but obviously still looking for guys there so we'll see. All right, we're gonna hit the break. You got a few more minutes before you have to hit the road. We'll spend a few more minutes with Ben Portnoy of the state when we come back. Okay, we're back on Sports Talk here on the Sports Talk Media Network. All right, coming to you. We are in the Jack Nicholas room inside the clubhouse at Harbortown after having a wonderful day playing golf today and listening to people and learning more about what's upcoming around Harbortown and Sea Pines with the uh, approaching uh, RBC Heritage Tournament in April. Uh, presented by Boeing. Let's don't forget the good folks at Boeing who are involved in this as well. It takes a state effort to pull off uh, a big events like uh, a PGA uh, tournament. So uh, we'll have Steve Wilmot with us a little bit after 7 o'clock to talk more about everything that went on today and everything that's coming up uh, involved with the tournament. Uh, Pat Daniels back at our studios in downtown Columbia. Uh, He has done some investigating. He knows why. Well, he knows how the UCF baseball team was able to get access to the hill at Death Valley. How'd they do it? Well, it's my understanding, and I could be wrong about this, but I feel pretty confident uh, going on for years now, typically when a baseball team, a visiting team, is at Clemson, in particular if they have a larger squad with them, they'll sometimes do their post-game showers in the visiting locker rooms over at Memorial Stadium. So it's my understanding that's how they got access into the stadium was they were over there and you can see in that video, they're still in their uniforms. So I would guess they went straight from celebrating uh, in Doug Kingsmore, went across the street, and before they actually took their showers and whatnot, they did a little celebratory run down the hill. Hmm. And, and interesting to point out, a lot of the guys did the little the little jump right at the hump about midway down the hill, almost as if they're fans of the program and have, have watched a ball game or two. You know, actually, I wouldn't take that as an insult, Ben, if I'm a Clemson people. I'd take it more as uh, an acknowledgement of, hey, we know about your football program. We know about your traditions. I don't think – do you take it as UCF mocking Clemson in some way or maybe just showing uh, their their way of respect after they pulled off a a tremendous uh, three-game sweep for them? I think there's – Maybe a little bit of the, the, you know, folks will argue it's like showing up Clemson a little bit. There's probably a little bit of that. But you know what? 
We're also in a world where we're getting, you know, really snarky messages from official team accounts after football games and yeah. things like that. You know, I don't know. I, I think it's in the grand scheme of things, it's harmless. It's kind of funny. It's entertaining. And you know what? Let college kids be college kids. Let them do some funny stuff like this. It's college baseball and college baseball in particular is especially quirky and weird and interesting and funny. And I think, you know what? At the end of the day, it's it's college kids being college kids and let them have some fun. And and you know what? They went and swept Clemson and, and earned it. So it's not a, it's not like they're doing it after you know taking one out of two or something like that. It, so absolutely. It, it kind of is what it is. I to think. piggyback on what Ben just said there, two great points. This was the first non-ACC team to come into Clemson and sweep a three-game series since 1985. So they certainly deserve to celebrate a little bit. Hmm. And, of course... Clemson fans now will be a little edgy going into this week because uh, the Tigers have South Carolina coming up after they have their midweek game. Their uh, their midweek game this week is, let's see, South Carolina has North Carolina A&T at home tomorrow afternoon. And, ooh, Clemson plays upstate over at Fleur Field uh, tomorrow afternoon. Upstate's no pushover by any means. So, And then they've got the three with South Carolina. So Eric Backage is, I'm sure, you know, Clemson fans are a little edgy going into the uh, to the South Carolina game, the series coming up this weekend. By the way, uh, Joe Lenardi has put out an updated uh, briefing on his bracket, not the full bracket. It's on his Twitter, and it's not on his website. It's on his Twitter where he updates the top seeds and updates the uh, – Last four buys, last four in, first four out, and next four out. So he's got Clemson now. He moved them up. He promoted them to first four out at number 71 overall out of 68 teams. So they're third in line, in his opinion, out of the tournament. And then he's got Charleston in the next four out at uh, number 74. Of course, it's pretty clear. Uh, Charleston's got the win, the CAA. The CAA is a one-bid league, and uh, Charleston's the number two seed in that tournament. Hofstra's the number one seed, and uh, by virtue of having the tiebreaker, they both finished 16-2 in league play. That tournament, be- tournament doesn't begin till the end of the week. Uh, so, you know, with them, it, re- it really doesn't matter. They, uh, they're not going to get... I don't think an at-large bid. That league doesn't ordinarily get an at-large bid, I don't think. So they need to win the CAA. By the way, Pat Kelsey, it was reported today, Pat Kelsey's getting a new contract and, and new money there at the College of Charleston. Uh, let's see, it was reported by uh, one of the basketball folks, I think it was Jeff Goodman, reported that uh, – Kelsey's getting a deal in excess of a million dollars per year, sources have told at Stadium. So I guess he's not going to bolt for any of the other opportunities might come his way. By the way, you know, our business, uh, Ben, ben Portnoy from the state is with us, and our, you know, the media business is certainly um, not immune to things related to the financial crisis in this country and this, that, and the other. What was your reaction? Did you have any reaction when you saw that the Athletic laid off beat writers last week at some major universities around the country? Yeah, you know, it's sad. I think there's always some trimming, and every company's a little different. Um, you know, it's definitely interesting to see. And, you know, it's unfortunate to see. You know, you never want to see good people lose a job, especially in this business that's so hard and people work really hard in. But, you know, obviously things happen behind the scenes, and you never really know. So it is what it is, but... um you know, thinking of those folks and, and know they'll land on their feet. And obviously, uh, you know, you hope that uh, hope hope that the business is growing, not shrinking. It's, yeah. That's always that's always the hope. 
Yeah, I mean, you're right. Uh, and, and, of course, The Athletic was, was purchased by the New York Times. And so, you know, if the New York Times is, you know, can't keep you afloat, you know, you got to worry about the future of those kind of publications. I thought about it because, you know, the stadium is something similar. It's a bunch of former newspaper writers, right, hired by another group to – form an online sort of outlet and the same thing with the athletic let's go back to the Gamecocks for a few more minutes before we uh, have to let you go so spring practice is coming up um, recruiting is going to heat back up uh, in a couple of days with the uh, uh, with March and you can have the in-person contact and visits and all that so everybody's going to get real busy with that again but you look at uh, the body of work they did in recruiting you look at you know one thing about Shane Beamer he has come in and he doesn't make the rules, but he takes advantage of the rules. And he's made no bones about it to build a roster at South Carolina. For that matter, he probably thinks anywhere. But to build his roster at South Carolina, transfer portal is a big part of it. He's not ashamed to go and use it. And he knows he's going to lose some players to the transfer portal. But he shops it heavily. And the incoming crowd is about one-third transfers. So, He's making great use of it. It's there to be used. And if you're South Carolina and you're trying to basically start something from scratch, why wouldn't you use it? You know, it's interesting that actually, you know, I'm kind of looping back here. But, you know, Shane and I kind of talked about that last week when we sat down. Was I said, I was like, you know, when he kind of mentioned how at this point in time, you're certainly projecting and developing guys over the course of, like, in theory, a four-year plan, right, still but at the same time, you're almost having to reevaluate your team every single year. It's almost a one-year thing every single year because of the, how volatile things are with the transfer portal and, and and things like that, and how you know how much movement there is in college football now these days, right? And so because and I said, you know, when did that start to happen? Right? Was that something that happened instantly? Was it something that happened over time? And, and he kind of pointed to the fact of the transfer portal, NIL, all these things happening all at once, and, and sort of the confluence of those two things. And when you've got that, like you said, you know. You're roster building year after year. You're not building, you know, I always like to think, and I think it's kind of an old adage of like, you know, you think of college football in waves, right? You're kind of on an upward trajectory. You hit a peak, it goes down a little bit, and then you sort of build back up over the course of a four-year, five-year stretch with with recruiting classes. Mm Mm-hmm. That's not really the case anymore because you can flip it overnight on some level. Not always. I mean, I still think that there are positions that it takes more than that, right? Like, you're still probably developing offensive linemen over three, four years. That's just the reality of it. But... Skill position guys are out there. I mean, they're a dime a dozen. You know, defensive backs are a dime a dozen in the transfer portal, things like that. Obviously, impact guys are being recruited by everyone. But um, y- you can go get guys, and, and I think that that changes the entire complexion of it. And I know that's a little meta, and we talk a lot about the big things affecting college sports and college football in particular. But it is interesting to see how how college football in particular, and, and at South Carolina, like I think they've really done a good job adapting to that. I think that, you know, Rattler was obviously a big haul. There's been some guys that are big hauls, but you know the places where Shane Beamer and this staff have done a really good job is sort of under the radar guys that that have come from maybe lower levels or mm-hmm. smaller schools and and blossomed. I mean, David Spalding came from Georgia Southern, and obviously he was banged up last year, but he's been a really important piece when he's been healthy at nickel. Uh, you know, Carlin Splatel a couple of years ago, same thing. Uh, last year it was it was uh, uh, Nate Adkins who obviously turned into a really big piece for this team down the stretch. You know, this year they went out and got Mario Anderson from Newberry. They went and got Nick Gargiulo from Yale, the offensive lineman who I think is going to be an important piece and, and may end up having a shot to be the starting center this year. So th- there's guys like that that South Carolina has done. It doesn't necessarily get talked about a lot because you've obviously got headliners like Rattler or Trey Knox from from Arkansas and guys like that that are big gets. 
but South Carolina's done a really, really good job at some of those sort of like big names at lower levels that that have kind of climbed up or or that they found you know not necessarily out of nowhere but um sort of those guys that fill a need um and that's been really interesting to watch i think that that's that's been really good they've done a good job um with that you know you look at a guy like Devonnie reed last year probably not an nfl guy but filled his role and did exactly what you needed him to do you need a guy to replace jalen foster he wasn't an All-American, but he played pretty well down the stretch when he was healthy, had some really good moments, played strong, played you know a strong safety role, a strong, played strongly at safety, not yeah. strong safety, excuse me. Yeah. A lot of words there. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> you know, and I think, you know, filled that role. And South Carolina's done a really good job hitting on guys like that over the last three years. And I think that's been a big part of why, uh, you know, they've been able to build some of that momentum and sort of shape those rosters. They have lost Freddie Kitchens, an analyst, big name, but an analyst who's going to North Carolina to be the tight ends coach. Uh, and they've had some other you know, folks uh, leave in the background. They've replaced them with some other people. These are folks who are normally pretty anonymous. You don't really know the analyst all that much. Uh, their names pop up on message boards and stuff like that. Now, Freddie Kitchens was a big name because of his background, NFL coach and all that kind of stuff. So they lose him to a full-time gig there at North Carolina as the tight ends coach because they lost their tight ends coach to the Panthers. So they had to fill that. But for the most part, with the exception of Satterfield leaving to go to Nebraska and replacing him with Loggins, and of course the the tran- the transition at offensive line, but Tinsley had been there doing everything on the offensive line for a long time. So I kind of don't want to call that a, a real change. But he's kept his staff together, which I think is if you love your staff and you think you got good people, keeping them together, I think is huge in building your program and, and helping it get to that next level. Yeah, I mean, if you look at this, I mean, if you want to count Lonnie Teasley slash Greg Atkins as a, as a- holdover from the initial staff we can call it you know south carolina's got on paper six of the initial 10 people that chain beamer had on that first staff obviously there was some shifting around before the first game was played but yeah. you know game one of the beamer era six of those 10 on-field assistants are still at south carolina and you can kind of call it six and a half slash seven if you if you want to include you know the variation of greg adkins and lonnie teasley um that's important and, and you don't see it a lot in college football these days and you look at sort of the you know you look at the Nick Saban model right and obviously people are pulling from Nick Saban because Nick Saban's developed all these coaches and there are great coaches that work under him and going on to head coaching jobs but but being able to keep that staff continuity is really important I mean there are coaches on this staff that that have turned down jobs I mean we Shane Beamer's talked about it that, that there's guys who have turned down jobs from bigger places and and he even mentioned you know when we were chatting the other day like there's guys on on the lower levels like assistant uh, you know analysts and guys off the field that have turned down bigger jobs um from other places and you know we don't always know who those people are and things like that but it's still the fact that that's happening is is shows you what that there's a lot of belief i think in what's going on and Mm -hmm. that's not to say that south carolina is going to turn around and win 12 games next year but i do think that there's something to that in keeping that staff continuity and keeping up with those folks and keeping people in places uh where they can be successful And, and i think they've done that in terms of retaining staff and and all of those things and some of those younger guys who have gone on to other stops are going on for bigger jobs. I mean, you look at a guy like Stanton Weber, who was an analyst under Pete Lembo last year. You know, he's now at 28 years old, going to go be a special teams coordinator at at, at Kent State and and uh, or excuse me, Toledo. And so that's a really big jump for a guy that age. I sure. mean, that's that's that shows you that they're developing young coaches onto bigger jobs. And in theory, you know, you want to hire them back, but but that, that's an important piece of, of that as well that I think sometimes gets overlooked. As All well. right, let me last, ask you this last thing. Keep you for a couple more moments before you leave. Um, you know, after two years, 
you, know, you compare Beamer to Muschamp, at least you know from the record standpoint and what they've done on the field, it's pretty similar. Um, Beamer gets a check mark for beating Clemson. Um, they they split their first two bowl games because same thing with Muschamp. He lost his first, won his second. Beamer won his first, lost his second. Uh, Beamer uh, Muschamp won nine games in his uh, second year. Beamer won eight games. I think he's a like a game back. Well, no, he had a better record his first year than Muschamp did. My point is, um, there's not a whole heck of a lot of difference statistically between the two. Now, maybe internally from what was going on with Muschamp to what Beamer is doing now, there's a great deal of difference. Time will tell. I will say that, of course, um, year three started out uh, was going to be started out pretty well for um, Muschamp, and and they lose that game at Florida. I think it was when things started to turn, and then the next, then they lose the bowl game, and then they start the next year, and Bentley goes down with the injury, and they're 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 in quarterback wasteland uh, from that point forward, and things got away from them. I'm just saying this to say you wonder if the infrastructure, the building internally with Beamer is better and stronger than what it was with Muschamp, and he's going to be better able to sustain anything bad that might happen in year three because things started to kind of go sour under Muschamp in year three. Yeah, and obviously, you know, Will Muschamp predates me a little bit here, but I, so I think you can speak to that maybe better than I can. But mm-hmm. I do think that with what you see under Shane Beamer, at least specifically, like there's a really strong infrastructure there, and I think there's an understanding of what needs to be done. It's not, you know, it's not guys jumping in because they're looking for the next thing. It's not guys with, um, you know, aspirations of going elsewhere, things like that. I know a lot of that's cliche, and I know we hear a lot of that, and I think that that's why I think a lot of folks can can argue that Shane Beamer's whole act or whatever you want to call it is, is a little corny and mm. And I can understand that from the outside looking in, but I do think there's a, you know, I do think that's also grounded in truth too. Like I do think that there is a legitimate foundation that's been built in terms of what Beamer's doing and bringing in and things like that. And I think that, you know, you look at guys like, you know, you're not going and getting guys like Nicholas Harbor if you don't feel like you have that infrastructure in place. You know, you're not going and getting guys like Spencer Rattler without that infrastructure in place on some level or keeping them a second year, right? Sure. Um, and belief in coaches and things like that. And, and I think that that's really, really important for a program. Now, again, like that doesn't, you know, the caveat is that doesn't mean that South Carolina is going to turn around and win the SEC East next year. It just, it just doesn't happen like that. But it makes you feel like there's some, there's some kind of longevity that can be built with this because I think we're really early in this. It's still only two years. Um, you know, if South Carolina turns around and goes seven and six next year or eight and five or whatever it might be, like, are folks going to be annoyed? Maybe. But the reality is, it's like, those are the logistical steps that you need to be able to build. I mean, you look at it and it's obviously not an exact comp and, you know, I'm not comparing Beamer and Saban or anything like that. But, you know, Nick Saban came in and was seven and six his first year at Alabama. And I think they were, what, 10 and four the next year or something along those lines. I mean, it took two or three years to get to what Alabama being, you know, Alabama, sure. sort of the, the death star that they are now and right. in Georgia in the same way. Um, and that's the reality is like these things take time and it's not always that linear. But I, but I do think there is something real to that foundation that, that Beamer talks about, that players talk about, that assistant coaches talk about. Like, I don't I, I don't think that's just sort of lip service. I think that is a real thing that actually exists. There. Yeah. Last thing, we'll let you go. In the SEC East, you know, Georgia, they're going to be very strong once again, but they do have to 
replace somebody new at quarterback and what kind of – look, for all the great quarterbacks they, they had, it took a transfer walk-on who went to junior college and came back to lead them to two championships. All their highly touted quarterbacks, all the five-star quarterbacks they had couldn't do it. So, you know, I don't want to hear about five-star this and five-star that. A flipping walk-on. It took a walk-on that nobody wanted to win. Now, how do you explain that? But anyway, we don't know what their quarterback situation is going to be, okay? Uh, And that has to be a question mark. Um, What's Tennessee's quarterback situation going to be? Is it it going to be the $8 million quarterback, or is it going to be – uh, the big strong-armed kid that was uh, the backup last year who played against Clemson and played well. I mean, he impressed me, Joe Milton. He impressed the heck out of me. Um, my, my question to you is, SEC East, I mean, is South Carolina, and like you said, if they slip to something here, something there, is, is it going to disappoint Gamecock fans? But are they not maybe, and they have question marks too, but they do have a quarterback, and they do have one of the best receivers in the SEC. And they do have some good defensive players. And they do have their place kicker and their punter coming back. And they do have that – now they have that special teams edge that every team has to prepare for South Carolina special teams. I mean, because they just – that's their reputation now. Are they in a, in a better place for upward mobility now in the SEC East to where they might slip you – know, and look, who knows what Florida's going to be. So maybe they're – at least going into the season, you think of them being third – if there's any slippage with Georgia and Tennessee and South Carolina can take care of its business, they could they could move up into the top two, if not more. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, we're obviously a long ways out, and I feel like I have this conversation every week or and a half with someone thinking, like, you know, what is South Carolina going to be this year? But, uh, I mean, I do think there's a world where South Carolina finishes, what, second in the East behind Georgia? I mean, I think Georgia's going to continue to be Georgia. I don't think there's any reason to believe otherwise, but I do think that the East is pretty wide open behind that. I mean, you look at it and – you know, obviously Tennessee's replacing a quarterback. I mean, I think Joe Milton's got all the talent in the world, but mm-hmm. we'll see whether the accuracy is there and whether they can replace a guy like Jalen Hyatt and, and that kind of thing, but uh, et cetera, Tillman as well. But, um, you know, I, I think right now, like, if you're a betting man, like, I'd argue South Carolina's in a better place right now than Kentucky or Florida is right now. I mean, mm-hmm. I'd put them ahead of probably Missouri, even though South Carolina's lost that game, what, now three years in a row, two yeah, years in a row? three. Three years in a row. Um, you know, you're probably ahead of Vanderbilt, even though Vanderbilt's a little bit pesky right now, and I think they're, they're getting better under Clark Lee. But, um, I, I mean, you could the, there's a pretty easy argument to be made that South Carolina could finish second in the East this year, and, and whether that happens, we'll see. I mean, I think it's realistic to see them finish, you know, third or fourth maybe. But but I do think that there's a world where, where it's really wide open right now, and I think they've got a shot. It's just a matter of, you know, do things shake out? Do they go beat a beat a Tennessee again? You got to go to Knoxville this year. Um, you know, got to go to A and M. Got to go to A and M. Got to go to Missouri. You got to play UNC Week One mm-hmm. in Charlotte in a crazy game. That's going to be you know Drake May versus Spencer Rattler. That's Ooh. that's going to be a really fun quarterback matchup. What do you think I'm, they'll put the over under at? <laughs> like a hundred and seventy three. <laughs> I mean, like you know that's going to be a yeah. that's going to be a good old fashioned Big Twelve shootout. You know, let's yeah. get a, let's get a, get like a seventy five seventy two uh, final oh there goodness. or something. Yeah. But. Uh, but, no, I mean, I think that there's – the schedule's going to be hard. It's going to be tricky. It's always tricky. You're still going to have to play Clemson every year. But I do think that there's a world where South Carolina can take that step up. Like, it's there for the taking. Now it's just a matter of doing it and, you know, saying easier, it, saying it and doing it is obviously, you know, cliche, yeah. right? Easier said than done. Yeah. So we'll see. Thank you, my friend. It's been a pleasure. It was great running into you today, and uh, appreciate you spending some time with us. I know this has been fun. You know, yeah. nice, nice little spot here in the Jack Nicholas, Mister Nicholas's room, Mister Nicholas's room. Yeah, Steve Wilmot corrected me when I said we'll be in Jack's room. He goes, 
Mr. Nicholas's room. So I know I'm looking around. There's probably more pictures of Jack in this room than there are fairways that we hit today. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but uh, this is pretty. This is a great spot for this. So I'm glad we could do this. You know, Jack and I have a lot in common as I think about it. We both have two legs and uh, swung a golf club once. We both have <laughs> put a golf club in our hands at least once. That's pretty much where it ends. And I've been through uh, Ohio before, I, you know, so that's kind of that's kind of weird. And he's been to South Carolina before, so you know, I read Arnold Palmer's biography this summer, thinking it might help my golf game, and uh, I'm still waiting to see the returns on that. So ha- hasn't helped, huh? <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> um, go get yourself a tsunami bar, and uh, and go see my friend George Bryan. That'll help your golf game more than anything else. <laughs> I promise you that. Thank you. Safe trip home. I'll see you back in Columbia. Appreciate you, Phil. Thanks you, for having me. You too, buddy. Ben Portnoy from the state. Man, really didn't mean to keep him for uh, so long, but I appreciate him joining us and spending uh, quality time with us here on Sports Talk as we approach the top of the hour break. Steve Wilmot from the RBC Heritage, presented by Boeing, will be with us after the uh, top of the hour to talk about his tournament coming up. It's really only about six weeks away before it's here. So, Looking forward to that. Uh, let me hit you up with a few other notes as we approach the top of the hour. Uh, South Carolina baseball remains at number 23 in D1 baseball after the sweep of Penn over the weekend. Uh, there are eight SEC teams and eight ACC teams in the Baseball America Top 25, but no teams from the state of South Carolina. So they're being a little stingy with their uh, with their. With their poll there. Uh, some sad news today. Uh, Terry Holland passed away, the former Virginia and East Carolina basketball coach. He passed away uh, today. And uh, let's see. Oh, Collegiate Baseball has uh, South Carolina at number 29 uh, in their ranking this week. Uh, USC's Noah Hall is the SEC Pitcher of the Week. Great performance by him. Eight innings, three hits, uh, no runs, no walks, and 12 strikeouts in that win Saturday over uh, Penn. So he deserved that for sure. We'll hit the break. Steve Wilmot coming up on the other side. Be right back. Welcome back to Sports Talk on the Sports Talk Media Network. You can reach the guys with the South Carolina Education Lottery lucky number, 888-898-2525. That's 888-898-2525. Now back to Phil, Chris, and Pat with the second hour of Sports Talk on the Sports Talk Media Network. All right, we are back with you. Sports Talk, Sports Talk Media Network. Thanks again to Ben Portnoy of the state newspaper. Go Gamecocks.com, thestate.com, benportnoy.com. Uh, follow him on Twitter. What's your Twitter? At Ben Portnoy? At B Portnoy 15. Okay. Follow him there. Safe trip back to Columbia. If I see you on the side of the road, I'll pick you up because I'll be about an hour behind you when I finish up here in the Jack Nicholas room at the clubhouse here at Harbor Town. We welcome in Steve Wilmot, the executive director of the RBC Heritage, presented by Boeing. And once again, it's great to see you. And thank you for doing this and letting us come out and have some fun today. 
No, well, th- thank you. And, uh, you know, this is something I look forward to every year. You know, we do have a sponsor slash media day, and uh, I've done the show probably for the last uh, 30 pounds. I mean, 30 years, <laughs> excuse me. But, uh, um, but you, you have know, this lost is a the treat. Well, that's a, another story. Was that too, a Freudian but, slip? Right yeah, there, yeah. Man. Well, I, people say how long you've been doing it, and I don't I used to not talk about years. I used to talk about pounds. That's a good things, idea. But this yeah. is my 37th tournament coming up here in April, and. Uh, uh, you've been so kind and so good to us over the years. And, um, you know, this is a, about us and about South Carolina and uh, golf and um, golf here in the low country, but also representing South Carolina. And we're all in this together. So it's going to be an exciting well, know, run it, here. It's obviously a, a natural fit in our state as big as golf is. And to have a PGA Tour stop, as we've had here since 1969, not only a tour stop, but a premier tour stop on one of the most beautiful golf courses. These guys will play anywhere in the world and the entire organization has done just a a fantastic job and you had a great winner last year great champion in jordan spieth and that's always good and i know you're looking forward to a a great field and a great tournament the week after the masters here coming up in about 41 42 days and i mean it's got to be like helter skelter around here trying to get everything done yeah it's um it's go time for sure but you know it's not that we sit back and wait the last six weeks you know the the effort from this from my team our team our our staff as well as the the foundation in this community and our partners and all too it's a year-round effort and uh, as i've said many times before it's 13 months out of the year if not 53 weeks out of the year and uh you know we're already working on 2024 i can tell you that but we've got a an exciting week coming up and the interest in golf is, is as strong as ever uh, the support that uh the state certainly has done with regards to golf in South Carolina. And you think back of 2020 when we had the little, you know, the the COVID, uh, you know, the unfortunate times there. But then for us to be given the opportunity to step up in 2020 and, you know, be back on the schedule, the support from the state, the PGA Championship, the Palmetto Championship, the CJ Cup. And, you know, we're the only annual PGA Tour event in South Carolina, but things are – you know, the state's on a roll, we're on a roll, and we're excited about this designated opportunity, which um, now we now we need to really step up our game and uh, show the world how special we are here in South Carolina. Explain what you mean by the designated opportunity. This is something new the PGA Tour has been doing, maybe as a result of the uh, Live Golf uh, development, and they're, they're trying to step up their game with the PGA to make it better for their players and uh, make it better for the tournaments? Yeah, I mean, this is it's been something that's certainly been discussions over the years of how do you get all the, your best players out there to play together, and that's what everybody wants to see. You know, we know if you're a NASCAR fan, what you're going to see week in and week out, and these are all independent contractors. And so the tour's been trying to do something, and yes, when you have a – a uh, competitive threat there, a distraction that's out there. Um, maybe it forced the issue or hand a little bit, but they, they recognize the players did that the, we are a part of the best tour in the world, best players in the world, best tournaments in the world, and uh, what are we going to do together to make it happen? And the players realize they need to play together more often. And uh-huh. uh, we were recognized, and uh, there's a long, long story, and we don't have enough time on the air to talk about it, how we got to this point, but um, – we are having a, a designated, a uh, recognized a designated event. We will have the top players in the world here. They want to be here. 
um, that three-hour trip down the road from the premier event in all sports, not just golf, at the Masters. They, they want to take that drive down here. They want to play Harbor Town, and we're going to have an incredible event this uh, this this you know a weekend, April 10th through the 16th. But uh, everybody's going to be here, and that's a compliment to not just here. It's a compliment to the state. It's a compliment to our partners, our patrons, our volunteers. Uh, this community, the Sea Pines Resort, uh, Sea Pines itself, and Hilton Head and Bluffton. I can go on and on and on. There's, yeah. a, there's a lot of moving parts to get to, to even get to the tournament. But these guys want to be here. The tour wants wanted to be here. Um, you know, the net, networks did too, and CBS is really looking forward to stepping up their game as well too. And uh, you know, we're in the process of putting our best best foot forward and. Uh, you know, AA plus game, and mm-hmm. you know we're going to do everything we can to make sure the, you know everybody realizes they made the right decision and wanting to be you know for us to be designated and recognized. Visiting with Steve Wilmont of the uh, the Heritage, so my antenna goes up when you talked about best players in the world being here, and that's fantastic. Can you share with us like some of the more marquee names that you know are coming, like uh, a Rom, like a McElroy, like, a, of course, Spieth will be back as defending champion. Dare I even throw out the initials TW? I mean, um, what can you share with us? <laughs> well, I, you know, I can share what I did today, too. You know, Jordan Spieth and, and Sam Burns and Sagith Lagala and Cameron Young, and, uh, you know, we've got some other past champions and all, too. Uh, uh, the official commit list is is coming into place. I, I know who's coming with regards to accommodations and who's playing in the pro ams, but until it's officially committed through the the tour and working with them. But uh, rest assured, I, it's going to be an incredible week and uh, a week that might even be expanded a little bit in the size of our field because we are a limited field, an invitational event, 132 players. But due to the fact of the timing with the announcement of the designation that they really couldn't change some of the categories because of planning and tournaments and some other things. So we can anticipate a field bigger than 132 because of all the players that would be coming, which is a, is a good problem to have. Yeah. But then it also, you know, if you, if you get another 18 players, it's 18 caddies, 18 families, 18 more courtesy cars, 18, but guess what? That's a good problem to have. Right. So, yeah. Right. Right. So um, now as but, a designated tournament is, does that mean you're per, you know, they've, they've jacked up the purses in a lot of these tournaments. Does that affect what you guys will be paying out as well? Yeah. As of, you know, just before the announcement, uh, we were at eight point three million million purse. Uh, we are playing for 20 million. So uh, uh, I guess you can say it was jacked up pretty good. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah. I think back of um, you know back in '87, my first tournament, and uh, the purse was four hundred fifty thousand dollars. So to be at uh, twenty million, that's pretty uh, pretty amazing. But uh, but you know that's in due part to a lot of things. And again, I thanked a lot of partners. But you know RBC um, stepped up in a huge way. Boeing as our presenting partner did too. Our secondary partners and. Uh, Certainly, the support that we've had from Columbia and the state too is a, a part of this, uh, you know, being where we are. And it's good to be. It's good to be us. And I mean, everybody. Um, there's, you know, there's tournaments out there that we're sharing in this position, and um, you know, and I want to stay in this position, and I want to make sure that we continue from this uh, this level of, uh, you know, of of elevating the experience for everybody too, because we want to make sure that we're going to have. 
we're going to have new players, new caddies, new patrons, new sponsors, new volunteers, and we want them to all have a good experience. Yeah. I mean, we're our ticket sales are through the roof. And we could sell as we could have last year, but the experience is important to us, and we want to make sure that that first-time player who might not have been here in a long time, you know, you think you think of those guys, the Scotty Schefflers and the, the John Roms and Roy's that haven't they've been here, but they haven't been here that often, but for them to be here, for them to c- come here, we want to make sure that, you know, they their experience was good. But that new spectator that might have never been here, but they want to come, you know, we want to make sure parking's okay. We want to make sure they get through the ticket check line okay. I want to, We want to make sure the restroom lines are okay, you know, and the merchandise lines and the concessions. So we're, we're sensitive to that. You know, we're we've been given an incredible opportunity to be a designated event, but we want to make sure we elevate the experience for everyone else too, so that the, the tour and the players and everybody else realize, you know, we, we made the right decision by going to Hilton Head the week after the Masters. How do you feel about what the PGA Tour has done in response to the development of uh, Live Golf, just the, the measures that the PGA Tour has done to make the tour better, like this designated tournament uh, idea that yours and many other tournaments have been granted and the the increased purses are they doing the right things are they taking the right steps to keep themselves as the preeminent golf tour in the world yeah i mean there's there's no question there's some things that uh every day we didn't know what our threat was going to say or do so it's not like you can prepare for something so there was some things that oh my gosh they just decided to do this what are we going to do but there are some incredible people in Ponte Vedra and around the world with the PGA Tour and the leadership of Jay Monahan. it hasn't been easy but they're 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 weighing every option you know there's you think how many title sponsors are out there how many host organizations are out there how many uh um, you know, how many different facilities and all that would love to be in this position, but it's also, uh, you know, they're trying to figure out what's best for the game of golf, and we're a part of it. You know, I mean, it's not that I'm drinking the Kool-Aid down upon Avidra, but, you know, what they've done, the support they've given us, they're incredible partners of ours, and one of the reasons we're here is because we've been good partners, and, you know, we're they're, it's the best tour in golf, and uh, the, you know we're one of the premier events in golf. And uh, following the premier event in all golf and sports, you know that we want to make sure that we continue to keep on keeping on. So, what do you think is going to be the end game here between the PGA Tour and Live Golf? I know you've got not you, but I mean I know there's things in the courts that's going to be happening. There's there's lawsuits going back and forth, blah blah blah. Some people like to compare it, and it makes sense to me. It's a, it's a rebel league like the AFL was against the NFL, and eventually they merged and became what they've become today. A lot of hard feelings, a lot of nastiness been going back and forth. I mean, can you see the, the players who have – and I know you've got to miss not having like a Dustin Johnson here, for example, a South Carolina guy who's, who's not going to play here right now. But can you see somewhere down the road a – unification a reunification these guys being welcomed back to the pga tour i mean i from the the competition from inside the ropes and the, the play I, I i really can't comment on that i do because i don't know yeah um i don't foresee it changing anytime soon like all of a sudden we're going to sit down at the, the table and let's talk this through mm-hmm. um unfortunately there's been too many daggers thrown each way in a way too and um you know i firmly believe in the pga tour and what they're you know, the direction they want to go, you know, we don't know who would have thought, you know, 
you and I sitting here talking about this this time last year, we never thought we would have been. Sure. So uh, a lot of things happened since that first event in June of last year, and uh, a lot's going to happen, you know, to moving forward. And, uh, you know, hopefully, you know, with us, we're protecting the best interests. They are a threat to us. It is a, a distraction to us. And, um, and when I say us, the PGA Tour, but certainly to this tournament. And, uh, you know, we're moving on. We're not going to think think about it. And, yes, you can say Dustin and other players you might miss, but they made it, you know, that's their decision. And they move on, and we're moving on as well. Sure. So you're looking for huge galleries, huge crowds. Uh, how are you looking? Uh, ticket sales, are tickets still available? If so, how can people get them? What about playing in the – in the Pro-Am, any spots available there? No, no spots available there. <laughs> no. All right, what is available? <laughs> <laughs> there's, a, there's a few tickets. Yeah. I mean, we're, we traditionally, as, you know, for those people that have certainly supported us, they know how Friday and Saturdays are here. And, um, you know, we're – and this goes back to um, really what happened back in 20. You know, we had no spectators. Um, 21, we had limited spectators. Um but going back to 2019, on Saturday of 2019, we had too many spectators. So so we realized the financial model of 20 wouldn't work, 21 with a limited. So last year, if you saw, we managed the numbers. We didn't want to get the 19 numbers. When we were, when we were at capacity and sellout, it was 20% of what our capacity was. And uh, the opportunities that we have here is we're still managing those those numbers in those days that – Friday and Saturday, we're going to have we're going to have four, if not five, Saturdays. You know that's how I look at it. And from a football perspective, how I like to say things, we're going to have f- five Super Bowls. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah, uh, yeah. Um, but the tickets are tickets are going. We there's no doubt in my mind, and I don't. This isn't a sales point right. because it's I'm more sensitive from the experiential experiential side, the operational side, and things too that will be sold out and. Uh, that's coming sooner than later, and uh, you know we're managing those things now because we want to make sure we do the right things and have a great experience for everybody. And I got to think too, from having uh, been inside the ropes here playing the course, that from a spectator standpoint, this has got to be one of the better layouts in that you can get close to the players. It's a flat walking surface. There's a lot of good viewing areas on the course. I mean, look, I know it can get five and six and eight deep around a green and stuff like that, and you have to be six five to see over people. But by and large, it's a great walking track for the spectators, and you can kind of get up a little close to the players as they're positioning themselves for their shots. Yeah, um, yes, absolutely. You know, but that, it's a challenge we have though too, being that it is flat. That you know we, we don't have parallel fairways and we have homes on certain sides, so we you know we can't necessarily walk spectators on both sides and through, which is it's a challenge we have. But guess what? It's uh, we have one of uh, have a pretty unique special venue and we love how it is and all. But but when you're flat too, you do have some um, you know some viewing areas that make it a little tough. And you played out there today. We we have some new you know bleachers out there sure. behind seven mm-hmm. T. We put some on seven green. Um, you know, we're sensitive to those, uh, you know, yes, our sponsor is extremely important, as I said, but those uh, those spectators that have supported us, too, we want to make sure they're able to view and see, too. And we don't want to be 10 deep. We don't want to be 20 deep. And, you know, if we had the, the hills like TPC courses and it's built for stadium golf, that's another story. But, you know, you can't necessarily sit down on the side of a hill here and, uh, you know, watch golf. Mm-hmm. But um, but we're, we're truly 
looking at that. That's something we take serious. And, uh, you know, yes, the, at the end of the day, the bottom line is giving back, and that's for charity. But, and, you know, for every ticket we sell, it goes to charity. But we also want to make sure we're doing the right thing. Well, thank you again for uh, having us out here. Thank you for putting us in the Jack Nicholas room. <laughs> yeah. This is fantastic. It's been a great day, and uh, we look forward to the tournament and uh, talking to you some more and uh, watching this thing unfold. Looking forward to it's a great two weeks around here with the Masters and then the RBC Heritage presented by Boeing following on its heels. So we thank you so much for having us out here, and we'll talk to you again soon. No, thank you for for you being you and being down here and supporting us, but uh, everything you do year-round as well, it's important to us. So thanks. Thank you, sir. Good to see you. Take care. Steve Wilmot from here at the uh, RBC Heritage presented by Boeing, two important major sponsors for this event, and it's important that uh, you know they stay well-connected to the event because the event is important to the state of South Carolina. There's no question about it. All right, we're going to hit the break here on Sports Talk, and we'll come back and uh, we'll dive into recruiting coming up in just a couple of minutes. Got some more notes to update for you as well. We got one ACC basketball game tonight, and uh, North Carolina – is going to be in action. In fact, they are in action against Florida State. North Carolina needs every win it can get, and 12-12, 11-14 to play in the first half there. We'll be back for more here at Harbortown in just a moment. George Bryan for Tsunami Bar Sports, our inventor. David Abernathy has always said Tsunami Bar technology allows us to take the training to the grass. Now I know through my sport of golf that natural agility can be converted to athletic ability. And why is this, Tsunami Robbie? Transferring the training to the grass. This may be the most undervalued characteristic of the Tsunami Flexible Bar technology. The Tsunami Bar action loads and unloads at the concentric and eccentric transition points. This is what we call reversal forces. And the Tsunami Bar is the only bar in training device that I know of that can train these reversal forces adequately at speed. Hey, this is Phil Kornblut. The Tsunami Bar is a terrific training device whether you're working on your fitness or your golf game. It's convenient, it's easy to use, and you won't feel beat up afterwards. Be sure to click on the digital ad on sportstalksc.com and get 5% off any order using promo code BBB5. Don't wait. Order today. Score a touchdown with Founders Federal Credit Union. With services like Founders Online and the Founders app, you'll enjoy all the perks of a big bank with local personalized service. Not a member? Joining Founders Federal Credit Union is easy. Visit RelaxJoinFounders.com or one of our 37 convenient locations to see if you qualify for membership. Relax with Founders. Terms and conditions apply. Founders Federal Credit Union is federally insured by NCUA. Life, it has its ups and downs. Sometimes it's little things like hitting every red light or dropping your cell phone. Maybe it's the bills, rent, or pressure at work. But when it comes to the South Carolina Education Lottery, you should never feel like playing will solve everything. The lottery is a game. It's played for fun. So set a dollar amount. Expect not to win and make sure responsibilities, family, friends, and work come first. Visit PlayResponsiblySC.com.
some recruiting news, I take it, by playing the recruiting news music. So we will dive into that for you here on Sports Talk. It's brought to you by Seawells. And, of course, Seawells, the place to go for the very best in the catering business here in South Carolina. For about 80 years, the Seawell family and staff have been handling all your planning and catering needs all across the state of South Carolina at their facility on Rosewood Drive or at your venue. Online at SeawellsCateringSC.com, and you can reach them on the phone at 803-771-7385. And, of course, the Daily Luncheon Buffet continues every day at uh, Seawells 11 to 2. Make sure you get over there for that because it is uh, simply spectacular, to put it mildly. So updating some recruiting. Running back Daniel Hill out of uh, Mississippi, Meridian, Mississippi, and South Carolina is is building a very strong relationship with him. He tells us Shane Beamer's been working him hard, and so has running back coach Montario Hardesty. He said uh, since they offered him, it was very exciting, and they've been in uh, regular touch, and Hardesty's been to the school several times, and they talk regularly. In fact, they did a virtual visit with him, with him and his parents, uh, last week, and so that was uh, that was big for him to learn more about South Carolina than what he already knew about them. This past season was his first at running back after moving from receiver. He's also a track athlete, and his versatility, he believes, is what has impressed Hardesty the most about him. So Hill uh, went to a USC game last season. He was in for the Tennessee game, and he said it was the best game he's ever been to and he said the atmosphere was unbelievable to him and thus the relationship he's been building with the Gamecocks has been very very good to this point he went to Alabama's junior day in uh, January that was his only visit that month he's planning to take spring visits to USC Alabama Ole Miss Mississippi State and Arkansas he is trying to finalize dates around his track schedule He said Hardesty has talked to him about an official visit with the Gamecocks on June 22nd. He is named a top 10 of USC, Tennessee, Mississippi State, Ole Miss, Texas A&M, Auburn, LSU, Penn State, Arkansas, and Alabama. He has not put his favorites in any particular order at this point. Last season, 1,371 rushing yards, 21 touchdowns. He caught passes for 623 yards and four touchdowns. Per his father, on Sunday, 2025 quarterback Ryan Montgomery, 6'3", 200, of Finley, Ohio, will visit Michigan March 12th, Michigan State the 18th, Kentucky the 30th, Clemson April 1, USC April 2, Georgia April 4, Florida April 6, Ohio State April 15th. Montgomery visited Clemson for a game last November. He also went to games last season at Michigan, Ohio State, Kentucky, and Georgia. His early offer list includes Ohio State, Texas A&M, Rutgers, UAB, Wisconsin, Kentucky, Purdue, Cincinnati, Vanderbilt, Miami. USC made the first cut with highly recruited tight end Devon Mitchell, 6'4", 245, of Los Alamitos, California. The others on the list are Tennessee, Penn State, Oregon, Ohio State, Southern Cal, Alabama, Texas, Oklahoma, Texas A&M, and Georgia. He was being recruited by Dowell Loggins when he was at Arkansas, and he's continued to recruit him at USC. We've got a few more notes coming up after the break. 
All right, back we are, Sports Talk, Sports Talk Media Network here on a Monday night. What a way to start the week. I know for most of you, Mondays are lousy, miserable. They just suck. Not for the corn today. Today was fabulous. Fabulous. I could do this every Monday. I could be a Monday qualifier. Give me a chance to be a Monday qualifier on the PGA Tour, Pat. Now, Pat, you know, as I mentioned, you uh, Ben Martin, you and Ben Martin, are, are buddies. You've known Ben Martin for a long time. I mean, you know what a, a pro golfer looks like. I mean, you think I could, if I went through the Monday qualifying process, do you think I could uh, make a living on the PGA Tour? Oh, gosh. Just thinking back to college, and hey, Ben, if you're listening by chance, missed your brother. Uh, hadn't spoken to him in a number of years now, but back at our time together at Clemson, <laughs> just the amount of hours that he would spend out at their practice facility, just hitting balls. He and Kyle Stanley I mean, that was basically their home. He, w- he would joke with us at times that he was out there on the range or on the course or at the practice facility or something golf-related far more than any other aspect of life, whether it was sleeping, school, hanging out with family, being at the apartment, whatever. He was, he was, they were always practicing. So if you have that in your back pocket and you're mm-hmm. willing, to, willing to put in the time, I'd give you a chance. You never know. Find yourself a little U.S. Open, go through the qualifiers. Maybe they'll give you a shot. Well, I tell you, if you can shoot 98 or above and and qualify, then I'm in. I'll be in great shape. Uh, my team today was not all that bad, as a matter of fact. We didn't finish last. Now, we were, you know, our handicaps, the four of us, if you took out the four handicaps we had and you averaged them out, our handicap came to about a 16 on average, okay? So that was helpful, you know. We had several holes like certain players would have uh, two strokes on a particular hole, and that player would, would par the hole, so that's an eagle for us on the on the scorecard. So we had a few holes like that that, that kind of kept us in the in the fray, but um, I think the winning score was like 50, which is 21 under par here. It's par wow. 71. Our, our score was 59. You know, we, we're 59. Everybody in golf would like to shoot a 59, you know. But, again, we were helped by our by the handicap. Uh, anyway, let me uh, wrap up the recruiting report. Uh, we can take some phone calls, 888-898-2525, South Carolina Education Lottery, lucky number here on Sports Talk. So we talked about uh, the Ryan Montgomery, the quarterback. We talked about Devon Mitchell. USC offered 2025 offensive tackle Josh Petty, 6'3", make that 6'5", 245 out of Roswell, Georgia. USC commitment quarterback Dante Reno was offered by Miami, according to Canes. I think they're wasting their time, but they did offer. USC target wide receiver Amari Jefferson was offered by Michigan State and Ole Miss. Riverside defensive tackle Marcus Downs was offered by Kentucky. LSU is also a recent new offer for Downs. He also has Georgia, Auburn, Virginia Tech, Duke, North Carolina, Arkansas, and Miami among his offers. And he has set visits with Tennessee March 4th and Georgia Tech, April 1st. Northwestern running back Turbo Richard was offered by Ohio. Running back Cortez Lane has transferred from Camden to Cardinal Newman. He's not yet received any offers, but he did visit Tennessee for their junior day back in January. He went to Georgia for a game last season. He also visited USC several times going back to 2021. He's also been to North Carolina and NC State. He said he is also drawing interest from North Carolina Central, Charlotte, James Madison, Appalachian State, and Liberty. 
He plans upcoming visits to James Madison, North Carolina Central, and Charlotte. Last season, he rushed for 794 yards and 10 touchdowns. He caught 33 passes for 469 yards and 7 touchdowns. 2026 quarterback Cameron McMillan of Fairfield Central landed his initial offer from Marshall. There you go with recruiting for right now. Keep in mind, the dead period ends as of March 1st, so in-person contact can resume. Uh, Players can start making visits to campuses, uh, coming in for spring practices and the like. You'll see a lot of that happening all around uh, the state and around the country here in the uh, days and weeks to come as we go through a a visitation period in March and also for a a good bit of April as well. Okay, uh, our poll question of the week. We haven't mentioned that yet. Poll question of the week is timely. Gamecocks and Clemson renew their baseball rivalry this weekend, first at Doug's King, uh, Doug Kingsmore, then at Fleur Field, finally at Founders Park. How will the series turn out? The answers are Clemson sweeps. Clemson wins two of three. USC sweeps. USC wins two of three. Of course, people feeling pretty salty about the Gamecocks right now since they're 8 no. And Clemson just got swept by UCF. But this is a whole new weekend this weekend. And you never know what's going to happen when these teams get together. You know what you can do, Pat? You can throw the record books out the window. That's what you can do. But 56.6% of 322 votes say the Gamecocks take two out of three. Another 31.7% say the Gamecocks will sweep. 8.1% say Clemson will win two of three, 4% say the Tigers will sweep. So uh, Clemson's starting pitching was hit pretty hard over the weekend. South Carolina's starting pitching, well, Mahoney gave up some runs on uh, Sunday, uh, but Hall was fantastic on Saturday, and Sanders was pretty good on Friday. But the Gamecocks didn't hit all that much against Penn. Now, Penn's pitching is supposed to be pretty good, but – I mean, South Carolina, um, which had such a big offensive series the previous weekend and, and big offensive games. Remember, they had five straight games to open the season in which they scored uh, double-figure runs. First time doing that since something like 1980-something. Uh, they won 20-3, to 17-2, 12-1, 19-3, to and 12-0 to open the season. But in that win over Penn on Friday, they won 7-4. to Gamecocks did have 10 hits, but they also walked five times, and um, they were hit uh, a few times. In fact, they were hit a lot. They were hit three times, I believe. They were hit a lot uh, throughout the series. So 10 hits in that game. And then the Saturday game, they won one to nothing. They only had one hit. I'm sorry, they only had three hits. They had three hits in that game, but they drew some walks. And, again, they were hit by pitches. And then yesterday, the Gamecocks had left 19 runners on base yesterday because of all the being hit by pitches and the walks. They drew 11 walks. They were hit by pitches several times, and they only had seven hits. My point in saying all this is, you know, uh, pin pitching, except for hitting the Gamecocks and walking, as far as giving up hits, they did a pretty good job. And so you wonder if Clemson pitching can do the same thing. I'm pretty confident – for the most part, the South Carolina pitching is going to be pretty good because their pitching is pretty good. But now you have to be worried if you're Clemson 
about your pitching after what happened over the weekend. See what I'm saying there? So looking forward to it. We'll be there for all three games. Uh, have the show up at Clemson on Friday, covering the games on our website, sportstalksc.com, and on Twitter at sportstalksc. Okay, so uh, got time for some calls, 888-898-2525. Gamecock Larry was holding. Pat, is he still with us, or did he finally fall asleep? Gamecock Larry is still there. He must have some very important stuff to talk about. He has been hanging on for some time now. He is what we call a trooper. Indeed. Gamecock Larry, you're first up on the phone lines this week on Sports Talk. Great to have you. How are you? I'm hanging in there. I dozed off a couple of times, but I woke up. I was still, still, you still have me on, so. But I got, I ain't going to talk no baseball much today. I want to talk about our lady game, the game, uh, Don Staters team. Mm-hmm. I don't know whether to call them Lady Gamecocks no, or Gamecocks or what. Just Gamecocks. So what they're, do you call they're them? Just game co- they're just Gamecocks. They're just Gamecocks. Okay. Okay, I want to talk about the Gamecocks. Don Staters Gamecocks. There you go. We got three games Hope supposedly in the SEC tournament. Friday we got to play. We need to play Arkansas or Missouri. I hope it's Missouri. Mm. We owe we owe them girl ladies uh, our house whipping because they beat us last year. And then I hope we play Kentucky Saturday. Because we owe them a outhouse whipping. <laughs> and then Sunday, I hope we play Ole Miss, because they almost give us a bad whipping, but they didn't do it. Now, I've got one other thing to say, and I'm going to get off of here. <laughs> Tiger Bryan, another record shattered by the Tigers. You cannot say the Tigers are the only ones that ran down the hill. What about that Tiger Bryant? Where (laughs) in the world is your security? Where is your security, Tiger Bryant? But now we're going to talk about the baseball games tomorrow. Wednesday, going to let me on. That's all I got to say, Tiger Bryan. No more Tigers on the one to walk down the hill. Talk to you later. Come on, y'all. Go game, cops. All right. All right, Larry. Thank you very much. Tiger Bryan, I'm sure, will respond at some point in time. Uh, is, are, is that true? Is that UCF the first team ever, the visiting team ever to run down the hill at Clemson? Something like that? That's a good that's a good point made there by uh, Gamecock Larry. That sounds like a Tim Beret question right there. Yeah. I bet he'd know that. Yeah, I mean, it'd have to be done under the darkness of night. It's not something you could do with the fans there or anything like that when anybody was watching. So that's a that's an interesting question. I wonder if anybody else has ever managed to do I know one thing. Don't you think in the future Clemson's going to tighten things up with visiting baseball teams, lockering inside uh, Death Valley because of this? All right, if 
they quote unquote snuck in and again we already acknowledge they typically will shower over there but if they were not supposed to go run down the hill and did that on their own as these videos suggest then yes absolutely i would imagine clemson will do something if you go through twitter right now you can see a number of current and former clemson football players who have retweeted these videos very unhappy about about what happened on on their field um but again, we don't. I'd like to point out we don't know the full context, and we tend in the media to kind of run with things without knowing all the information. For all we know, Clemson let them do it. For all we know, there was a representative from Clemson that walked them over there because they requested to run down run down the hill. So we don't. I don't want to be too certain one way or the other because we don't really know the full context of what happened, other than that there was video evidence of the baseball team celebra- celebrating by running down the hill. Well, like there's one way to time. prevent that, of course, and that is don't let the team go in there and sweep you. That might be one yep. way to prevent them from running down the daggum. Could you imagine the Gamecock football team after winning in Death Valley back in November somehow working their way over to the Ooh. hill and maybe climbing up it and then running back down it? I, you know, that's. Uh, I'm just saying that's that's far-fetched. But, uh, yeah, I, I imagine that – I mean, do you think the UCF people called up Clemson and say, hey, would you mind if our guys ran down your hill? Maybe Clemson, like I said, they took that as a compliment to the history of the hill and it being one of those uh, monumental uh, college places that these visiting athletes wanted to touch and, and, and participate. Or were they mocking Clemson? That was the thing. Were they were they mocking Clemson and kind of rubbing their nose in it? Not only did we sweep your baseball team, but we stole your hill as well. Is that how it's being viewed? That's a great question. And remember, Coach Backich also, I don't have the exact quote in front of me, but he was asked about, about that, and he mentioned how it stung, especially on top of the fact that they got swept by a team that was, I think the quote he used was mouthy, uh, just Ooh. saying how UCF was, were running their mouths all weekend long from the dugout. So then on top of that, to get swept in your own stadium and then have them go and run down your football stadium hill, didn't exactly mince words there. But to your mm. point, if you don't want that to happen, maybe stop them from sweeping you. Absolutely. Okay, we've got to go to the break. One more recruiting note I meant to mention. That is just a reminder that David Easy Omumi is going to be announcing on Wednesday, excuse me, Wednesday, that's the running back from Sewanee, Georgia, uh, as we talked to him last week and what he shared with us, it widely feels like it's going to be Clemson for him when he announces Wednesday. So keep an eye on that. If you're a Clemson fan, looks like uh, you may be pretty close to filling that running back uh, hole on your uh, 2024 uh, recruiting class with David Easy Omume, good running back out of the state of Georgia. We'll hit uh, the final break. And uh, we'll come back and catch up on some other news notes. If you'd like to tune us up and, and dial us up, 888-898-2525, South Carolina Education Lottery, lucky number. Reminder, with vacation season coming up, make sure you give Jimmy Smith a call at James Smith Realty, 843-237-4246, 843-237-4246. Your perfect beach getaway is just a phone call away online at pauliesvacationrentals.com. Again, that number, 843-237-4246. Back in a moment. 
Hi, I'm Jim Corbett. I've been an attorney for more than 30 years. There's one thing I've learned about injury cases. It's you need the personal touch. You need the lawyer to get to know you and describe your damages. You don't want a case manager talking to an insurance company and then talking to you and then talking to maybe to a lawyer with limited experience at the last minute to try to settle a case. I talk to you. I find out what your case is about. Jim at JimCorbettAttorney.com. Jim at JimCorbettAttorney.com for your injury cases. We are the NFHS. That stands for the National Federation of State High School Associations. But really, what we stand for, together with the SCHSL, are the 96,000 high school sports students in South Carolina. And so we stand. We stand for the runners, soccer, and basketball players. We stand for their coaches, administrators, and officials. We stand for the swimmers, football players, and wrestlers. We stand for the golfers, softball, and volleyball players. We stand as the national leader and advocate for high school athletics and all who participate in them and make them possible. Because it is our purpose to ensure that high school students get to play, perform, and compete together. To learn more about who we are and what we stand for, visit nfhs.org. All right, final minutes on Sports Talk tonight from here at Harbor Town, And make your plans on getting down to Harbor Town for the RBC Heritage presented by Boeing. 41 days away and counting. If you don't have your tickets, you better move quickly because if you heard Steve Wilmot, tickets are going uh, pretty quickly. So you want to be a part of it. It's one of the great events in the South Carolina every year. Uh, that's, uh, that's for sure. Okay, a few other things to update. Basketball, North Carolina now, they've blown it open against Florida State at the half, 43-25. Tar Heels on top. High school basketball to catch you up on the upper and lower state championships. So on Friday, 2A girls, Gray Collegiate, girls and boys both beat Keenan in 2A girls and boys. In 4A girls and boys, North Augusta, beat Wade Hampton in girls. Lancaster beat Greenville in boys. This is upper state play, of course. Then on Saturday, in 1A girls, Denmark Olar beat St. Joseph's. And in 1A boys, Christ Church defeated Great Falls. 3A girls, Wren over Southside. 3A boys, Wren beat Travelers Rest. So both Wren teams are going to the state championship. And tonight, in 5A girls, Malden is playing Spring Valley. And Lexington is playing Dorman in 5A boys. We'll see if we can get an update for you. In fact, Pat, while I'm doing this, if you can check and see if you can find uh, updated scores on that, that'd be wonderful. Then on the uh, lower state side of things on Friday, Bishop England defeated Andrew Jackson, 2A girls, 2A boys, Oceanside over Andrew Jackson, 4A girls, Westwood beat AC Flora, Boys, Irmo over Hartsville. Irmo, Irmo, Irmo. They're there every year. Tim Whipple, what a fantastic coach. What a fantastic career he's had at Irmo. Got his team in the state championship once again. On Saturday, 
1A girls, Military Magnet beat Lakeview, and Scotts Branch uh, boys beat uh, Estill. So 1A girls, Military Magnet wins, and 1A boys, Scotts Branch wins. 3A girls, Camden defeated Lower Richland, and 3A boys, Crestwood knocked off Orangeburg-Wilkinson. Tonight you've got Sumter and Stratford and 5A girls, and in 5A boys, Conway against Goose Creek. Pat, were you able to – ID anybody with any scores on those games tonight? No, it was not. Okay, that's why we call you the best in the business at what you do. I didn't so, actually even hear what you said, to be to be fair. I wrote in the chat asking what score you wanted me to look up, and I might be able to find it for you. Well, that's okay, because when in doubt with high school uh, sports here, we turn to our man, Lou Bajak, from the state. So we've got um, Lexington High School is down 20-17. to 17. In their game, so Lexington High School, this is 5A boys. Lexington High School is p- playing, uh, are they playing Conway? Is that the one that's playing Conway? No, they're playing Dorman, my bad. So Dorman leading uh, Lexington 20-17. to 17. In 5A girls, uh, you had Malden defeating Spring Valley 67-50. to 50. So Malden advances, this is Upper State, and Malden defeats Spring Valley 67 to 50. Let's see if we have any other scores, courtesy of Lou and his Twitter. Um, he's obviously at the upstate game, so I'm looking for any help with the low state games, lower state games, but I'm not seeing it there, so we'll have to look elsewhere and see if we can find it. In the meantime, we'll tell you a couple of other things of importance, and those would include the following. We've got uh, Furman. How about Furman winning the Southern Conference regular season championship? They beat Samford. Mike Bothwell and Jalen Slauson, the all-time winningest players now in Furman history. Between them, or, or together, I guess, 112 wins. And congratulations to Furman, but here you go again. You got to win the tournament in Asheville. There's just no other way to put it. To make the NCAA tournament, you got to win the SOCON tournament in Asheville which begins uh, later this week. USC freshman Ethan Petrie is the one of the national players of the week by collegiate baseball after hitting 435 with five home runs this season. By the way, I believe, I'm going to double-check here real quick, I believe South Carolina, after two weeks of the regular season, I believe South Carolina is leading the country in home runs as a team. They had 26 home runs after the weekend. I believe that's going to be enough to lead the country. The stats had not been updated when I checked it last night. So as I check it right now, home runs, yes, South Carolina leads the country with 26. Wake Forest is right behind them with 25. Troy has hit 23. Miami has hit 22. And, you know, when you want to compare – Clemson and South Carolina, let's say, looking ahead to this weekend. So the Gamecocks have hit 26 home runs to this point, and Clemson has hit something like, what, nine maybe on the season so far? Double-check that here, but I think they're sitting at like nine home runs on the season. So um, The Monty South Lee Car- effect. Monty Lee effect. You think it's all Monty Lee? I don't think it's all him, but I, I do think that there's something to be said when Clemson hit as many home runs as they did the last few years and their numbers are down this year and the Gamecocks are up. 
I know there's a lot of other differences from a team year to year, but um, might be worth mentioning. Mm-hmm. Just a thought. Could be yeah. wrong. Yeah. Let's see if I can pull that up here. Um, Clemson through the 26th. Um, give me total of home runs. Home runs per game. But, um, yeah, I don't really think they've hit like uh, eight or nine home runs to this point. So South Carolina will have the big edge in the power department. Uh, going in uh, to the weekend. We'll talk more about that. Uh, We've got the USC women, 36 consecutive weeks at number one in the AP women's poll and back to being unanimous this week. Okay, that'll do it. Thanks to uh, Steve Wilmot. Thanks to Angela and the folks here at Harbortown. Have a great night. We'll see you tomorrow.